Okay, let's open with a word of prayer. Lord our God, we thank you for bringing us here safely again. We thank you that uh, although many of us have been traveling uh, recently, we praise you for granting us safety and for watching over us and bringing us back safely here. And we thank you for bringing each of us here safely this morning to gather in your name and to worship and also to spend some time uh, studying the scriptures together. And we ask you to bless each and every class. Lord, we pray for those who are working with our little ones, teaching them the holy scriptures. And we pray that uh, they would grow up uh, storing and treasuring up your word in their hearts and bless those who are seeking to instill the truth of your word in our children. Uh, and bless us and bless the other class too. And we ask that Christ would be exalted as we study the scriptures together. And we commit our study here to you uh, for the good of our families, for the good of our marriages, for the good of your church. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, we come this morning to a topic that's really, uh, you know, when it comes to, I suppose, the, the practical need for a study in marriage, this is, this is one of those things where, that, that really deals with the, the heart of the issue, I guess. And we're gonna, so we're going to talk this morning about conflict resolution. Um, and uh, just a couple of disclaimers right from the beginning. Uh, we're not going to be able to say everything there is to say about conflict resolution in just the short time that we have today. Uh, I won't be able to give you all the equipment you need in order to master the, the art and the skill of conflict resolution in your, in your marriages. Uh, but I am certain that... Uh, we all need this in our marriages, and, and it's, uh, it's an important topic to cover. So we're just going to give an introduction uh, to it this morning, which is essentially what we're doing with every topic we consider. Uh, there's always more to be said, more that can be said, and perhaps should be, but with the time that we have, we'll, we'll do what we can. Also, uh, I want to, this is sort of by way of disclaimer, but also kind of promotion or advertisement, uh, much of the content for the, about the first half of this, especially Roman numerals 1 and 2 on your handout, I have derived from and uh, more or less lifted from the work of a man by the name of Ken Sandy. He, many years ago, uh, along with a few others in collaboration with him, wrote a book and created a whole program, in fact, an organization called Peacemakers. The book is called The Peacemaker, and Peacemakers is, is a kind of a nonprofit organization that helps with conflict resolution. Much of what we're going to be discussing in the first half or two-thirds of this course comes right from his book, and so if you want more of this, that's where to find it in his book called The Peacemaker. And then, um, uh, and I'll use a couple of illustrations that, that he presents in that book that I found very helpful, and I think you will too. And then the last part, uh, I'm drawing again from Wayne Mack and his work on uh, the family and on marriage and stuff. So just to say, uh, this isn't original to me. Uh, it is scriptural, however, so... Um, Hope we'll benefit from it. Look at the quote that I put at the top of the page, um, top of your handout. That quote is from Ken Sandy. He said, no matter what race or country you come from, none of us is naturally inclined to obey Jesus' commands, to love our enemies, confess our wrongs, gently correct others, submit to our church, and forgive those who hurt us. 
In fact, left to our own instincts, we are disposed to do just the opposite. So you think about all those things that Scripture commands in our flesh because of our fallenness. Uh, so those instincts he's referring to would be the instincts of, of a fallen creature, a fallen human being. Our instincts naturally do the opposite of what Scripture requires of us. So if we talk about, uh, if we're going to discuss and talk about conflict resolution, let's first define conflict. Um, you can look it up in the dictionary, and uh, a pretty good dictionary definition uh, is uh, conflict is an antagonistic state or action. An antagonistic state or action. As of divergent ideas, ideas can be in conflict, interests can be in conflict, persons can be in conflict, groups can be in conflict. Um, uh, and now, that's a very broad definition of conflict, and is addressing the concept of conflict in a very general way. But since this is a class on marriage, our focus um, will be on marital conflict as opposed to other interpersonal kinds. You know, we, we, uh, Ron and Mark and Alex and I were at the PCA's General Assembly uh, this past week, and Anytime you have a, P a general assembly, there's going to be some conflict because overtures are brought to the assembly, and then there's some people who are for them, some people who are against them, and there's discussion, and uh, so you deal with conflict in that arena. There's all kinds of, you know, you deal with conflict in the workplace, you deal with conflict in your neighborhood, you deal with conflict uh, in, in a number of different um, uh, scenarios and, uh, and arenas, but our focus, of course, is marital conflict, and so we'll be discussing that. Ken Sandy's definition of conflict, and of course, uh, this is dealing with uh, you know conflict among Christians, perhaps uh, more generally, but it also applies to marriage, is as follows. Uh, he defines it as a difference in opinion or purpose that frustrates someone's goals or desires. Let me read that one more time, and as I do, I want you to think of a conflict maybe you've had recently uh, with your spouse, or you know, maybe in another context. But think about the conflict that you're either dealing with now or maybe have encountered recently, and listen to this definition again. A difference in opinion or purpose that frustrates someone's goals or desires. That's where conflict comes from. We have desires. We have goals, and if someone else's goals or desires differ from ours, uh, and thereby they frustrate whatever our goals are, they frustrate our desires, that is uh, where conflict comes from. Alright, so having defined conflict, let's talk about three basic responses to conflict. There are many ways you can respond to conflict, but um, again, I am borrowing from Ken Sandy here pretty heavily. Um, but there are three general ways, and, and some of the more particular, specific ways can be lumped under these three categories. The first is escape, the second is attack, and the third is make peace. And he starts his book, Peacemaker, with a really neat illustration. And from it, he derives a, a sort of a diagram that he calls the slippery slope of conflict resolution. So you can imagine um, you're trying to walk across a, a fallen tree. It's like walking on a log, you know, and it's kind of slippery. And you could slide off one side or the other. And I'll, I'll build on this little diagram here. In, in a minute, but he tells a story about having gone hiking with some friends, and they encountered a, a 
river, I guess, you know, a rushing stream that was going to be challenging for them to cross. And there were three of them, and they had three different ideas about what to do about this obstacle before them. Uh, one of them said, we can't get across this. Let's find another place where maybe we can uh, pass this, forward, forward this uh, river. Uh, the, the other guy said, let's just go. I don't care if we get wet. We'll be cold and wet for a little while, but it's all right. We can get through this. Let's do it. And, um, and then the third, I can't remember what the exact response is, but those illustrate three different ways we can respond to conflict. And we'll deal with that in a minute. So um, three basic responses to conflict. Number one, escape. When we were talking about communication danger signs a few weeks ago, remember one of those danger signs uh, we discussed was withdrawal. You know, and that's a that's a that's a communication danger sign. It's also a method of dealing with conflict. You use escape methods when someone is more inclined to avoid conflict than to resolve it. Escaping uh, is just getting away. Um, escape methods include denial and flight. There's another main category of escape mechanism. We'll perhaps get to that in a minute. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to put escape over here. Okay, uh, This is on one extreme, and that pen's dry. Um, one extreme of the continuum of dealing with conflict. So we'll put escape over here. Um, that's, a, that's a thing you can slide off into, a, a bad idea that you can slide off into in terms of dealing with conflict over there. Um, and two major methods of escape include denial and flight. Denial is when you just pretend like the problem isn't there. You just say, this is not a problem, or you know, plug your ears, la 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 la, uh, and just not deal with it. Um, or, or refuse to act, which is, uh, in, you know, in effect, the same thing. You can just deny the problem. And actually, I, I'm just really reluctant to break open a brand new pack of pens, so I'm not going to. But, um, <clears throat> um, but let's put denial right here. Okay, denial. And then, uh, in addition to denial, there's flight. Um, so that kind of is a step further. And the way flight works out in relationships and in interpersonal conflict is that's when, you know, if you're talking about a friendship, you know, for two friends get in an argument and they have a conflict between them and one of them is inclined to take an escape approach to the conflict, they can just, you know, end the friendship. You know, there is, it's not, the friendship to them isn't worth the trouble that it's going to take to resolve this conflict, so they just pull away. So you can end a friendship. If you've got conflict at work, you can resolve that by quitting. If you've got conflict in a church, and this is, this is the classic standard American way to solve church conflict, just leave, find another church. Or not, but just leave the church if you don't like what's going on or what's being taught or some person in the church that irritates you or whatever, just leave. That's an escape method of conflict resolution. And then, of course, in marriage, the ultimate uh, example of flight, you, know, you, you can separate or you can even get a divorce, but that's, uh, those, are, those are examples of flight. Um, now, it's, it's important for us to stress at this point, 
especially when we're talking about um, different forms of abuse uh, and, uh, and abuse of, of different, uh, especially of, of different levels of severity, there may be cases where it is uh, a legitimate option for the uh, the person being harmed to withdraw. I mean, uh, that's that's usually uh, even even when the ultimate goal is to be reconciled and to and to for the relationship to be healed. If, for instance, a husband is beating his wife, the the, the best counsel for her in the in the immediate moment is you need to get out of that situation. If you're if you're in danger of bodily harm or or worse, then then withdrawal can be on a temporary basis. In other uh, that that is um, legitimate. Okay, so I'm not saying that that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Flight is never, or should never, be an option. There are situations, dangerous ones, where flight uh, might be necessary. <clears throat> now, here's the thing about escape methods: no matter the the level of them uh, or the type, escape may, in some cases, bring temporary relief to the problem, but they never solve the problem, and in some cases, uh, they can make it worse. So that's escape, and that's one end of the spectrum, we might say, or one side of the log that you can fall off of. The second method, basic method of response to a, uh, a conflict is attack. You know, so Ken Sandy's friends who were hiking with him, uh, the guy who said, let's find another place to cross, we could kind of equate that with an escape solution. The guy said, let's just go, you know, and he said, yeah, we're going to get soaking wet, but it's fine, we'll, we'll live. Uh, he's taking something akin to an attack method in terms of... Um, problem-solving, conflict resolution. It, attack is used... Remember, see the parallels here, okay? Escape is used when someone would rather avoid conflict than fix it. Attack is used when someone's more interested in winning than in preserving that relationship. You know, if the relationship suffers damage, they don't care. They want to be right. They want to win. Uh, and so they just charge at the thing head on. Uh, so uh, attack methods include assault and litigation. I'll, write, I'll go ahead and write those down. Okay, so those are on that end of the spectrum. Um, attack methods, uh, assault, uh, and um, okay, assault would include verbal attacks. You can assault someone verbally say unkind things, say harsh things. Um, you can intimidate them in various ways. You can resort to or engage in some sort of physical violence or attempt to damage them in other ways. Can you think of examples? Uh, we would classify them as assault methods, but uh, they don't necessarily do bodily harm to the person. But what are some other ways you can attack somebody? Slander. Slander, that's right. You can seek to harm them financially or professionally. You know, if there's a conflict in the work workplace, and uh, you know, we don't think of this as an attack necessarily, but it certainly is. You know, somebody if if that person gives a bad report to your employer and seeks to damage your career, damage you somehow professionally, that's a, that's a form of attack. And I wanted to bring your attention to the larger catechism. And by the way, you know. Um, 
the larger catechism is really, really helpful when it comes to confession of sin because it reminds us and, and in many cases exposes to us lots of different um, categories of sin that sometimes we don't think of, we don't, uh, don't come to our minds immediately. So in the section on the Ten Commandments, similar to the shorter catechism, but in a more expansive way, it'll ask, what is the nth commandment uh, and what does it prohibit and what does it require and when you read through that you realize how far short we fall of God's holiness of his glory and of his um, of his you know keeping his commandments so um, sixth commandment is you shall not murder what the shorter catechism teaches us is that sixth commandment not only forbids the actual act of killing a person, but it forbids anything that tends toward that. Even very, very small increments towards murder those are violations of the Sixth Commandment. So, uh, larger catechism, question 136 says, what are the sins forbidden in the Sixth Commandment? And it's not just murder. It's not just the actual physical act of murder. The sins forbidden in the Sixth Commandment are all taking away the life of ourselves or of others, except in the case of public justice, lawful war, or necessary defense. I'd love to park on those and kind of muse on those, but that's, it's not uh, cogent, or it's not um, related to our study. But, um, so, taking away life except in cases of public justice, lawful war, or necessary defense. Then neglecting or withdrawing the lawful and necessary means of preservation of life. That's a species or a form of murder. Sinful anger is a violation of the Sixth Commandment. Hatred, envy, desire of revenge. Not actually taking revenge, but even the desire for it is forbidden in the Sixth Commandment. All excessive passions, distracting cares, immoderate use of meat, drink, labor, and recreations, provoking words, oppression, quarreling, striking, wounding, and whatsoever else, in case, in case they happen to leave something out, uh, whatsoever else tends to the destruction of the life of any. So that can all fall under the category, any of those things can fall under the category of an attack method uh, by which we seek to resolve conflict. So that's assault. And then litigation, uh, which would involve uh, bending a person's will through the use of a lawsuit. And the reason I threw that one in is because, um, you know, that, that's, uh, that's kind of the category into which divorce falls. Um, or it can be. Uh, so, and remember, in parallel, when we talked about escape, escape may bring temporary relief, but ultimately makes things worse. The parallel to that with attack is attack does not resolve conflict. It doesn't resolve it. It only, and, and almost always, makes a bad situation. A situation that's already bad just makes it worse. Okay? Um, and then the third option is make peace. Before we go on to that, though, I want to um, mention another uh, observation that Ken Sandy makes. He refers to escape methods whatever, of whatever kind. He refers to escape methods as peace faking. <laughs> peace faking. Uh, and he refers to attack methods as peace breaking. 
So we don't want to break peace. We don't want to fake peace. We want to make peace. And uh, that's, the, uh, that's the method we'll talk about now. Do you have any questions or comments before we go on? Okay, so making peace. Let's uh, consider in the first place that these are responses that are available to us. This is the response that God commands. Let's look at some scripture now. So turn in your Bibles to Gospel of Mark. And we're going to look at verse 50. Of the Gospel of Mark. Would someone read Mark 9.50 for us? Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves, and be at peace with one another. Okay, so you got the good word there about salt, and we don't have time to dive into what all that means and then parse that out. But the end of the verse says, be at peace with one another. That was the command of the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I are to be at peace with one another. We're to be at peace with our spouses. It's God's command. It's, uh, it's His requirement. Turn now to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And let's take a look at verse 11. Would someone read that for us, please? restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the love of God and peace will be with you. Thank you. Okay, so uh, several things in that verse. Aim for restoration. That would be peacemaking, I think. You know, when their peace has been uh, disturbed or upset or, or broken, we're to aim for restoration. Comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace. That's the command of Scripture to us. And then, of course, uh, Matthew chapter 5. If you go back there with me, please. Matthew chapter 5. What do we see in verse 9? Thank you. Now, here's something to remember about the Beatitudes. You know, that comes from the section of the Lord's Prayer, that opening section called the Beatitudes. And he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And as we take these, it's, it's easy for us in our minds, especially if we're really trying to do an in-depth study on each of these Beatitudes, it's easy for us to forget that these things are all tied together in a bundle. In other words, it's, it's like fruit of the Spirit. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, which we will look at shortly here, um, doesn't speak of fruits of the Spirit. It speaks of fruit singular of the spirit and it says it's these things and it gives you that list of nine attributes and that's fruit of the spirit altogether in a similar way the beatitudes are not something that are sort of to, we take a la carte you know what i'm saying it's not like a buffet and you've got all these blessings and say oh, i'd like that one mm, i'm not too hot about that one and I'll, you know you pick and choose no all these things go together and they are they're all part and parcel of the work of salvation that Christ does in us. So um, we are all to hunger and thirst for righteousness, and God is going to satisfy that hunger and thirst. We're all to be merciful, and God is going to give us mercy. 
And then all of us, without exception, are called to be peacemakers. I mean, can you imagine a scenario where someone um, has the kingdom of heaven but isn't a son of God? There's no such thing. All who have the kingdom of heaven and who shall be comforted and shall inherit the earth are also sons of God. It all goes together, in other words. So we're all called to be peacemakers. We're commanded to be peacemakers. And so let's remember that. Um, Categories of peacemaking. Now, in Sandy's book, he gives like six categories. I'm only going to bring two to you this morning because most of them... the, the other four, especially the ones that move closer to this end of the spectrum, are really more related to other kinds of conflict, not so much marital conflict. But um, he mentions two that are, are very uh, strongly applicable to marriage, and those are to overlook an offense. Okay, here's our break-off point between escape and making peace, and there's the break-off. Um, One peacemaking method or option is to overlook an offense. Um, and we've got a couple of scriptures. Maybe some of you are already turning to some of those. We've got a couple from Proverbs and then one from the New Testament that quotes the Old Testament, by the way. Um, but uh, Proverbs 19.11, does someone have that? Good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook an offense. It is a person's glory to overlook an offense. And, and, and you know that to be true. You, you know how admirable it is when someone is provoked and they don't respond in kind, when they keep their cool, when they can just say, uh, I can ju- I'm just going to let that slide. It's a, it's a person's glory, the scripture says, when we do that. Um, and then also in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 16. The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. Yeah. Now, speaking of spectrums, you know, we all kind of get in these, in these uh, dispositions of mind where, where every little thing just kind of peeves us, you know, we kind of, uh, but let's remember that when we, when we're being like that, we're being like a fool. The vexation of a fool is known at once. In other words, he's got short, such a short fuse that as soon as he's disappointed about something, he's got to say something about it or, or at least manifest his, uh, his frustration in some way. Um, but then the flip side of that is, uh, verse 16, uh, the, the prudent ignores an insult. Now keep in mind here, uh, it's one thing to ignore an insult. Um, And uh, what we saw in that previous verse, verse 19, uh, 11, we can overlook an offense. uh, But there are times when it's not possible to overlook an offense. We're unable to. Uh, legitimately so. And so in that case, we need to aim for reconciliation, and that's the second peacemaking method we can use. But before we move on to reconciliation, let's turn to Ephesians 4. Is someone there already could read for us Ephesians 4, verse 32? Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiven, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Okay, thank you. Forgiving one another. So we have that option. 
being tender-hearted, so we can overlook an offense. Then the other is reconciliation. Because if it's an offense that we're unable to overlook, or for some reason it's just not practical or, um, or wise to simply overlook, then what we need to do is move towards reconciliation. Um, now, now that I've got all the, that on the board, I want you to observe that, um, that there is this sort of a continuum here. And although we didn't discuss every uh, peacemaking option that Ken Sandy covers in his book, if we were to do that, you'd see that, uh, well, just consider, overlooking an offense is just kind of this far away from escape, isn't it? You know, it's kind of like escape. It's, it's, it's more passive and it's more private and individual, but um, it's, it's over the line. It's not simply escape. It's saying... That person hurt my feelings. You know, uh, my husband offended me, but I'm just going to let. I'm, I'm going to overlook it. Uh, so, but then as you move this direction, the the methods and the 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 options become a little bit more deliberate, a little bit more aggressive. Sometimes they involve more people. Uh, in, in other words, bringing in someone from outside of the relationship to help, and then uh, then when you get to uh, to this line, then you're into attack methods. And I think one of the points that Ken Sandy is trying to make is we want to stay in this zone, but oftentimes we slip off to this side or the other. And uh, just, well, yeah, um, the, the, the extreme escape method would be suicide. And the extreme attack method, of course, would be murder, but that kind of—that's—I just mentioned that. Not that—not that it's really relevant, too very relevant to our discussion. But I mentioned that just to show the ends of the continuum on either side. Um, all right. So reconciliation. Turn with me to Matthew chapter five. When that offense can't be overlooked, or it shouldn't be overlooked for whatever reason, uh, reconciliation should be our aim. So we've got Matthew five, twenty-three and twenty-four. Would someone read those for us, please? So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there. Remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Thank you. Okay, so you see a principle there uh, about um, about the, the importance of working reconciliation. And I think the fact that in this particular passage of Scripture... The person who's about to offer his gift, in other words, he's going to worship. Well, you can think of it that way. He's about to go to worship, and he remembers uh, not that he has something against his brother, but that his brother has something against him. And I think it can and should work either way. But the point there is, um, you know, don't leave it to the other person. If, you, if you're aware that something needs to be dealt with, ought to be dealt with, go deal with it. Uh, because if we don't, if we don't resolve these things, our our worshiper will be hindered. Um, and then uh, another category that uh, Sandy 
mentions, I didn't put it on the board, but it's kind of going to kind of um, uh, lead into uh, something that is very relevant to marriage, and that is uh, counseling. He mentions mediation, you know, which you can have, you can you can implement in a in various sorts of interpersonal relationships. But when, in the context of marriage, uh, we have this peacemaking option of seeking counseling. So when a couple's got a conflict, they've maybe tried to resolve it and they've not ab- not been able to. Just the two of them, they can reach outside uh, and go to a counselor, go to a pastor, go to an elder, and seek a little bit of help with that. Um, so. Any questions before we go into some biblical guidelines for conflict resolution? I just was thinking that the two in the middle, the make peace options are selfless, and the ones on the side are, are both selfless. They're focused on me. I, I, I want to win. I want to get out of here. But those are focused on the relationship and unity. That's a great point. And I think because those... Uh, options on the on the ends are are selfish. What do they lead to in either case? What do they tend toward? They tend towards death. Even if they don't literally and physically result in that, that's the direction they're headed. So yeah, in here is is a selfless, um, others oriented, God oriented approach. And on the on the on the periphery, it's 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 selfish either direction. Um, All right, so here uh, with our remaining time, we're going to try to uh, go over some biblical guidelines for conflict resolution. These work in marriage, but they work in other conflicts too. So, uh, uh, or they're applicable and and they help. So Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, kind of lay out several things that are guidelines for us in our efforts towards conflict resolution. So follow along with me in your Bibles. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Okay, so uh, Wayne Mack pulls out four concepts. Actually, he pulls out five. I didn't put the fifth one on here. Um, it's closely related to the fourth. But four, four guidelines, four concepts for conflict resolution. The first is be diligent. See how he says that in verse 3? Uh, be, uh, <clears throat> actually what the ESV says, is it eager, eager to maintain. Uh, NAS uses different words. That word that in your ESV Bible is translated eager, <clears throat> uh, the Greek word uh, means to be zealous, and you really feel strongly about something. Uh, um, <laughs> at the, the chaplain training we had... Um, we all got to introduce each other. This is the weekend prior to GA. I, I went to some chaplain training, and spouses are invited. Hillary came with me this year. And they they wanted us... We took a, a chunk of time during the training for everybody to introduce themselves to the rest of the group. And they just said, tell us who you are, where you are, uh, you know, a little bit about your ministry, and um, tell it, you know, just kind of an icebreaker sort of question. Tell us something you're passionate about. And so they started, thankfully, on the other end of the room. You know, people are going around. And, uh, and so I, I turned to Hillary. It turns out a lot of other husbands in the room did the same thing, if their wives were there. But I, I said to Hillary, I said, to, 
what am I passionate about? And she said, nothing. <laughs> and, and, and so that's what I said. I said, you know, I know a lot of you asked your wives, what are you passionate about? I said, I asked my wife. She said, nothing. And I got a laugh. And I said, no, and I couldn't disagree with her. So, uh, because, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Uh, but anyway, um, uh, we should be passionate about keeping the peace. We should be zealous for that. Another way to translate this Greek word is to take pains. In other words, you know, this is kind of an antiquated expression, but to really, really work at something, do your best, is another way that word can be translated. And that's why uh, in the four major English versions I sometimes consult when I'm doing a Bible study or sermon preparation of some kind, ESV, of course, but then New American, because it's very literal to the Greek, uh, New King James, because it's a very reliable translation, and then NIV. Uh, because although it's not as accurate or not as not as uh, literal a translation, sometimes it, it captures the spirit uh, in a way that other versions don't. But all four of these versions translate that word a different way, which is interesting. And when you see that, it's worthwhile, especially uh, to consult the others. But um, being diligent or being eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, the New American Standard says, be diligent. And that's where uh, this be diligent uh, expression or guideline came from. New King James says, endeavoring. Remember, there's a, there used to be a space shuttle called the Endeavor. You know, it has in mind a, a big task, something that's going to require a lot of effort. And so NIV says, make every effort. All right, so yeah, it's, it's going to take time and it's going to take energy, a certain investment of oneself to make peace and to, to maintain it. And so let's keep that in mind. You know, we, we can't just think that if everything's fine today, that, that our marriages can be on autopilot. No, we have to keep investing and keep working to maintain that unity and that, uh, and that peace, if we have the peace. And then making peace, establishing peace, requires a lot of effort. So uh, be diligent. Secondly, be humble. Look at verse 2. With all humility. What does pride do to conflict? Makes it worse. Adds to it. And a lot of times it's pride that gets it started in the first place. Humility helps quell conflict. So, uh, one thing that in humility we can do that will go a long way towards helping us resolve conflict is what's described in um, uh, Matthew 7. The last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, because if we, if we're if we're being humble, then we're going to be willing to say, you know, there's conflict here, and the chances are almost a hundred percent that I have something to do with it. It wasn't just the other person, and so in humility, I'm going to examine myself. I'm going to think about what maybe I've done to create this conflict. And that's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 7, at the beginning of the chapter. He says that famous and famously abused statement, Judge not that you be not judged. Verse 2, For with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Here's the point, though. Verse 3, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? Or, let's, let's 
Let's take some liberties here. Why do you see the speck that is in your spouse's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, your sister, your spouse, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? Now take this verse 5 gentle, with the gentleness of Christ, the love of Christ, okay? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. Then afterward, you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye, or your spouse's eye. All right? Um, Consider your own faults before seeking to deal with the other person's faults. And, you know, here in the Reformed tradition, we believe very firmly in this doctrine that we call total depravity. Now, if we really believe in the doctrine of total depravity, then we will have to conclude logically, even if we can't see it, uh, we have to conclude logically that there are things in our hearts, things in us, that are contributing to a problem. If we, if we think, you know, I'm not really at fault here, it's, it's him, it's her, uh, then you're not living out your faith. Because your faith teaches the doctrine of total depravity. And if you are totally depraved, then you have something to do with the problem too, probably, in almost every case. Okay, so be diligent, be humble, and be gentle. That's the third one that we see uh, in that passage. This is with all humility and gentleness, it says in Ephesians 4. Uh, gentleness helps others to be less defensive and more rational. Both of those. You know, if you, if you, if you charge at a problem in a, in a very aggressive way that looks like attack, what's the other person going to do? They're going to put up their defenses. But if you approach the issue in gentleness, that causes people to lower their defenses. You know, in the military, we learn that the origin of the hand salute is, uh, it goes back to Roman times when a person approaching another person would raise their right hand to show that they weren't holding a weapon in it and that they came in peace. Um, when we're gentle, uh, we, we convey to the other person, I'm not on the attack here. I want to make peace. Um, so gentleness can... Uh, cause others to lower their defenses and then when they lower their defenses when they when they come out of defense mode and into you know and start to move toward conflict resolution mode they're going to think more clearly too um, Jesus of course was the ideal example of gentleness if you turn with me to second Corinthians chapter 10. This is moving towards the end of Paul's second letter this, uh, to the Corinthians, which, which involved, uh, among other things, Paul's kind of you know, defense of his own ministry. You're, the heading in your Bible uh, might even say that. Um, but he says in verse 1 of chapter 10, I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ... I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I'm away. So, he, he appeals to the meekness of Christ, the gentleness of Christ, and he says, I've been trying to do the same thing. Be the same way. Uh, remember, gentleness is fruit of the Spirit. We won't go there, uh, but, um, but you know it. Maybe you've got it memorized. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness 
and self-control. We talked about self-control last time, and I made the, um, the point, stressed the point, that self-control is fruit of the Spirit. So is gentleness. So is gentleness. Um, Wayne Mack said, gentleness is a powerful tension-reducing agent. I loved that. There's actually more to it, but I didn't have enough room on the page. Um, and then, okay, so be diligent, be humble, be gentle, and be patient. Resolving conflict can sometimes be a long-term effort. And I can't help thinking that in so many cases, damage can occur in an instant. Rebuilding, uh, it takes a long time, usually. I always think of uh, nurseries, you know? You've got a kid in the nursery, he's playing with blocks, and he's building something. Another kid comes along and just knocks it down. And then it, ta- it took the kid you know, some time to build whatever he was making. And then another kid can just ruin it in a moment. And it's the same way with relationships. It's the same way with lots of things. It's the same way with uh, agriculture. You know, you plant seeds, and then you have to water them, and then you have to wait. Because it takes a long time for things to grow. You can cut it down in just a second. And it's the same way in our relationships. Damage can can occur in an instant. It takes time to build up. It takes time to heal. When a person falls, they can be injured in in just a fraction of a second. And then it takes a long time for them to recuperate, for them to rehabilitate. Uh, and then remember, of course, when we're talking about being patient, love is patient, 1 Corinthians 13 says. And again, back to the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is patience. And one more verse, and then we're nearly out of time. Uh, Colossians 3, let's go there. Colossians 3, verse 12. Would someone read that for us, please? Behold the end of God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Thank you. Okay, so there you have patience. And you have another, you have another list there in that one verse, um, which again is not, uh, it's not a buffet line. Yeah, you know, I'll be patient, but you know I'm not all that interested in, in some of these other things. No, it's all a part of the package. It's all part of the Holy Spirit's work in us. So, uh, in our conflict resolutions, uh, let's be patient, let's be humble, let's be diligent, and uh, let's be gentle. And then there's that last quote there from uh, R.T. Archibald. Peacemakers carry about with them an atmosphere in which quarrels die a natural death like that. Any comments or questions before we close? John? Yeah. I was married in the, in the, in the mid-60s and my wife and I had been married 55 years when, when she died. Uh, but being in the South, a man's perception of, of his wife, for the most part, is that she is to cook the meals, clean the house, wash the clothes, raise the kids, stay home. Okay, now you come forward to this generation and you see that so many marriages are ending up in divorce, a very large percentage of them. So you have to start asking the question, well, what, what happened from one generation to the next? My observation uh, I mean, there are many, many reasons for divorces, but my, I think the most common reason is conflict 
between the husband's desire for the wife to be the at-home uh, house manager, but she wants a career. She's educated, she's knowledgeable, she keeps up with the politics, she votes, many of them are activists, many of them join PTAs, and I mean, they're, they're out, they're out of the house. But the man wants her in the house. And there's where the problem starts. Where you've got, she wants to go off and have a career, and he don't want that. Particularly if he's generating enough income to provide the lifestyle, and most, most men do. So, how do you, if you get so many divorces and a lot, and the main reason is, is, is conflict over, over the role of the wife in the marriage, and she wants, to, wants a career and he doesn't want to have a career, how do you resolve that? Uh, well, I don't have a cookie cutter answer to that question, but I think in the process, the, the whole point of this particular lesson anyway, is that uh, in the process of resolving it, however they do, uh, they need to observe these principles, these things that we've talked about. And, and that, that's really uh, where the problems come in, because, you know, when you've got a, a, a man... Uh, doesn't want his wife to have a career outside the home, uh, and a woman who uh, is very keenly interested in pursuing a career outside the home, uh, then they've got, if they're Christians, if they're Christians, then in a spirit of uh, humility and gentleness and patience, and in a very diligent way, they need to figure it out. And the answer isn't necessarily going to be the same for this couple as for that couple, but these are principles to help people move towards a resolution rather than, you know, one of these other uh, peripheral uh, methods of dealing with an issue. But thanks for that question. And we are out of time, and I want you to be able to get to the bathroom before them. So let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us in your word uh, guidelines for dealing with conflict. Help us to get better and better at practicing these in our homes, in our marriages, in our other relationships. And help us to model them uh, so that more and more your people will be diligent to maintain uh, unity in the bond of peace. And we pray now that as we come together for worship. Lord, that you'll be present with us and bless our service and get glory for yourself as we uh, join together in holy convocation. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.